0: hey everybody i'm brooke and i sobered up august 2nd 2016. hi friends i'm suzanne and i sobered up december 19th 1991. together we got a lot of recovery and we host seek purpose the podcast seek purpose is a community that supports recovery healing and spiritual growth
1: we believe that sharing our stories can greatly impact our communities and collective action can impact
0: the world so stop scrolling and start listening will you
1: We are partnering this year with Recovery Kids to help support parents that are in treatment and grandparents that are in treatment. Um, They're going to be setting up really cool free shops for the parents to buy presents for their kids to just bring a little bit more normal into this Christmas for them. So if you want to get helping out and supporting with that, please get in contact with us. We want to get the word out for this as much as possible. We need lots and lots of support. It's uh, recoverykidswithaz.com if you want to go check that out now. And hi, I'm Brooke. Hi, friends. I'm Suzanne. <laughs> and this is Seek Purpose, the podcast. We are so excited to be sitting here today with Lori. Do you want to introduce yourself, Lori? Hi,
2: all My name's Lori.
1: Thank you so much for being here. Um, Lori is a published author an addictions counselor and a cat mama. <laughs> Her book is Maybe You Need to Know the Darkness. Um, we want to first of all hear your incredible story, and then I want to hear all about this journey of becoming a published author. That's so exciting! Okay,
0: so I just jump into it. Just jump into it, girl. We are so excited. Actually, Lori's handle on TikTok is this underscore girl underscore six nineteen. I kind of was wondering after reading a little bit about your book why it didn't end in sixty nine. But anyway,s I'll let you. Just saying. <laughs> and then, and now you can go.
2: <laughs> Obligated to answer that question. Um, I live in San Diego, California, so six one nine is the area code for that. But I mean, wow. if you read the book, that would apply as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd get you on that one. Well played, Suzanne. Well played.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, here's Lori, I am in recovery, and um, I guess we'll just start at the beginning. Um, So I am a only child born to um, two very white bread, very Baptist Christian, good old people from, um, my mom's from Iowa, my dad's from New York, Um, very conservative family, Um, and so I don't know what kind of karma they did in their lifetime to deserve me, but um, I Hopefully they reaped that and have learned their lesson and moving forward. Um, so I came into the world. Um, I am. I was born in like 1982, so I'm a little 80s slash 90s baby. Um, I grew up in the church. My mom, I, she had lupus, so it's an autoimmune disease and pretty much she can't go out in the sun. So like I was never the kid that did any sports. I was never the kid that like went to the beach. I didn't do anything like that. Um, so my mom had me like involved in a lot of like church things growing up. So like I was the drama nerd in school and stuff like that. Um, And for whatever reason, like I just never felt like I fit in, like I had two good friends, but like one was the book smart one and one was the pretty one. And like, I'm the weird kid that doesn't like fit anywhere, you know, Um, and that just kind of carried with me my entire life. Um, I remember just having this inability to like not fit in my own skin and just feeling like a black sheep and I didn't know how to change that. And then one day when I was 13, like some of the uh, neighborhood boys invited me over to their house and they broke into their grandma's liquor cabinet and here comes me and some Goldschlager. And I'm like, Oh, well, this feels nice. I feel like I fit in, like I have arrived. Right. And, um, my, the way that I grew up, my mom was very, um, physically and emotionally abusive. And my dad was the old school type where his job was to go to work and hang out in the garage and work on classic cars. And it was my mom's job to raise me and like never the twain should meet. Right. So like my dad was never emotionally available, supportive, anything like that. Not, I think he just didn't know how to be because of how he was raised, but like in the moment when I was little, I didn't know that, you know, um, so like I was never, My parents were never like, how are you feeling today? Lori, what's going on? You seem upset. Like that was not how I grew up. So I found drugs and alcohol and I was off and running. You know, Um, I got kicked out of school, uh, 10th grade for reading mommy and daddy's medicine cabinet, took all her Xanax and pills, you know? yeah. Anyway, moving on, got kicked out of school, went to three different high schools and uh, graduated by the skin of my teeth, class of 2000. And um, I remember that part, in like school, where they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up and you have to like focus it and like write papers or whatever. I didn't know what I wanted to be. And so um, I had a girlfriend who had a brother single mom and she was a cosmetologist. And I remember seeing her and thinking like, yo, she can support two kids. She has her own apartment. Like, why can't I do that? So I enrolled in cosmetology school. Um, Well, that worked out great until I decided to do more drugs and not want to go to school all the time. And then at some point in time, I just didn't want to come home all the time. My parents were like, hey, kids, so like you can't live here if you don't live under our rules. And I was like, peace out, suckers. And like I just moved in with the boyfriend, you know, and uh, it's safe to say that school did not become a priority. And I wound up dropping out. Um, At some point in time, his mom was like, uh, yeah, so I'm going to need you to move out because I'm scared you're going to get pregnant. Um, and so I didn't have anywhere to go. So, uh, I heard about some kids that were all living at the beach. There was like this little homeless community. So I'm like, all right, I'll go hang out at the beach with all of them. So I showed up on the beach and uh, backpack, everything I had in me, ready to go, you know, and I got lumped in with some of them. And a lot of them were really cool. Like I had a really good experience being homeless. That sounds so weird out loud. Um, <laughs> but I had a good experience being homeless. <laughs> <laughs> and we Out for a long time. Um, and we all had like I thought so, like you know how your brain makes you think funny things when you're loaded. So I thought that we were super cool because we had all these like circus side so tricks, like we had unicycles and we would play with like weird like didgeridoos and and bows and different instruments. Like we weren't the homeless group that like hung out on the street corner with a sign. Like we did tricks for your dollar, you know. And, like we spun fire and we did all sorts of other like weird things. I. Thought I was in my version of Cirque du Soleil, I guess. Um, in retrospect, that was not the case. You spit fire, sir. I, I, you spit fire. <laughs> I can spit fire and spin it. Like uh, it's called poi, like the Hawaiians do. And you were high doing this. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool.
0: Yeah. Okay. Just just clarifying. <laughs> high and spitting fire. Okay.
2: <laughs> Apparently, we were. <laughs> And, uh, so we had all these different tricks, right? And so one day, um, my, my trick of the day was I would walk up and down the boardwalk and I had this plastic coat hanger. My, my line was, I bet you a dollar, all the change in your pocket that I can fit my entire body through this coat hanger without bending or breaking it. I was like 85, 90 pounds, like soaking wet. Right. So like, it was not a challenge to like navigate through this coat hanger. Anyway, um, I'm hitting up this old group of bikers and like, they're not, they're not biting and, uh, I hear this guy saying, Hey, little girl. And I'm like, what is going on? I turn over anyway. And he beckons me over to him. I'm like, what's up? And he's like, I'm going to give you a hint on uh, if they don't bite within five minutes, they're not going to move on to your next. And I was like, all right, old dude, thanks. Right. And then as I start to walk away, he's like, wait, wait, come back. Like if you ever want to make some real money, let me know. And I was like, all right, dude, whatever. He slips me his fucking business card and uh, them kept chatting a little bit longer and, uh, Somehow he convinces me that it's a really good idea to hop on the back of his bicycle and go with him to his very strange land, home, whatever, and uh, to work for him. I would like to think that I'm not naive at this point in my life, but obviously I'm not making very good informed decisions either. So (laughs) I go grab my stuff, um, put everything that I have in like a backpack, we go to his house. And uh, he breaks out like this huge plate of cocaine. And uh, he's like, here you go. It's all yours. And I'm like, huh? He's like, here you go starts telling me how he's going to get my hair done and my nails done and buy me all these new clothes. And I'm like, "Mm, there's a catch somewhere. There's a catch. No, no, there's no catch. Anyway, needless to say, there's a catch, right? Turns out that he's a pimp. He hooks me up um, with a few different gigs. And uh, I let him know, like I got like the solid bear, like the solid boundary. Like you can't, you can't whore me out. Like I don't have any values, but we're not doing that. And he's like, honey, no, like he tries to give me all the justifications. And I'm like, what's the middle ground? And he's like, well, why don't we throw you in the strip club? And I'm like, all right, I can navigate around that. Anyway, so while this is all going on, um, he winds up break me, you know, because you got to like pay for everything that he gives you. Um, And I remember just like totally disassociating. Like I can see like myself in the mirror crying and like see what's going on with him. But like, I'm not in my body and uh, just totally checked out, you know, and then I wake up the next morning. And I remember like going in the shower and like trying to like scrub him off of me, but like, I can't get him off of me. And uh, I knew like I needed to leave, right? Cause we're not, we're not doing this game. Like it, it was good for a minute, but we're not doing this. And, uh, so I, I navigated a way to be able to leave the scenario through everything that I could in my bag. Uh, he dropped me off with the condition that I would come back for dinner. Cause he had a date for me. Uh, and you know, I turned around never saw him again. I um, wound up calling some old party friends. Cause we always have old party friends. finagling my way into some dude's house with some dude's bed that he'd let me stay there. And, I uh, I was able to go wind up um, working at the local strip club. Um, I'm working there, everything's great, everything's fine and uh, totally loaded all the time because now I have a disposable income. Uh, It winds up going all weird with the dude. So I wind up moving in with this chick. She has two kids from two separate baby daddies and uh, the baby daddy of the girl's oldest, he's super cool. Baby daddy of the dude, huge jerk. He's got like the domestic violence ring going on with her. So like he beats her up, she leaves him, Uh, there's like, moments of silence, they get back together, it beats her up, they got that circle going on, right? At the time when I moved in, they were separated. Um, I move in and now everything's off and kicking. We got all the strippers over all the time. We're having a good time. I eat entirely too many mushrooms one night and slip my wrist um, because the kitchen knives are talking to me. Uh, I come home and she's like cleaning up my blood and I'm like, that's not a good look if the kids were to find that. Uh, He winds up finagling his way back into her life and he sits me down on the bed and lets me know that um, I need to move out because it's no longer safe for me to be around the kids. And I'm like, all right, that's a good justification. So I move out um, and maybe like, I don't know, about a month later, dating some tattooed guy, working another strip club. And I'm waiting for him to come over and I get like a knock on the door. And I told him like, come over, the door's open, come in. But he like didn't come in. And I'm like, come in. And he didn't come in. I thought that was weird. And I went to the door and uh, it was caught. And the cop asked me, you know, you know are you so and so? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, Do you know, so and so in regards to my roommate. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, can I come in? Like, uh, you need to sit down for this. And I'm like, what is going on? Uh, he sits me down and he tells me that um, she had been murdered. She was in the shower. The kids were in the living room. Baby daddy of the son hopped in through the bathroom window, stabbed her to death, and um, then slid his rest as well. Baby daddy of the daughter was coming to pick up the daughter, saw something, called 911. And, um, the cops came, she had already passed, he was still alive, uh, and they took him to the hospital for self-inflicted injuries. And, um, so the cop came to me cause I was the emergency contact on our, uh, release. And they asked me like, was there a history of abuse? Does she have any family? And I just lost it, lost it. And I gave him all the information that I could, but I lost it, you know, and that was May, May 8th, 2003. And, um, that date, like, Haunted me, right? Like I have her name tattooed on me. I sleep next to a picture of her. Like that date haunted me because I felt like it. If I had been there, it would have been different. Like I could have stopped it. What? What? I, all that, right? Um. So like that date haunted me for years. Um. Fast forward a little bit of time, and my using becomes incredibly insane, and uh, I ruin everything around me. Eviction notice on the door, all of that stuff. And I have a girlfriend that I met at the strip club who offers me to go live with her in Hawaii. And I'm like, for a trip to Hawaii. Uh, let's go, you know? So I hop on a plane, go live in Hawaii, um, with the context of I'm only going to do organic things, right. <laughs> and, uh, and drink of course. So anyway, so I get out to Hawaii and I'm not doing only organic things. I wind up in a stall with a stripper on like night two, you know, snorting whatever I can. And, um, I remember I started talking to this dude in San Diego and he's like, I start telling him, I feel like my using's becoming aggressive again. And he's like, why don't you go to a meeting? And i'm like dude what are those like that's still like all that i knew of meetings was from nurse jackie right like i'm not doing that <laughs> and uh, he's like just go to a meeting so i looked up online i found a meeting there was one that was like 20 minutes away right down the road went to the meeting showed up to the meeting i'm looking around and i'm like yo this isn't this isn't my get down you know and um, that part of the meeting right where like you have to identify yourself like i knew that it came to me and like i had to say you know like i'm blank and uh, my name's Lori. I broke into tears, broke into tears and could not stop crying, like ugly cry status, right? And I, I know now that it was because that was the first time that I was being honest with myself about my addiction, but in the moment, it just, I didn't understand it. Um, so I picked apart everything in the meeting because I'm not like you, I'm X, Y, and Z, and I'm never coming back. I ran out of there as quickly as I could and went back to my house, went back to the strip club, off and running once again. Uh, moved back to San Diego for a boy. I move a lot for a boy. That is a reoccurring theme, y'all know. <laughs> I uh, moved back to San Diego for a boy, uh, we date for a while, he's not so happy with me stripping, so I go back to beauty school, so nobody has to sing beauty school dropout to me anymore from Greece, so I go from beauty school, and that's great for a while, but I miss the strip club money, and so I go back to the strip club, and I ruin that relationship, and then I move out, and I continue to ruin my life, and all sorts of other terrible things happens, and then, uh, remember Myspace, like, are y'all yeah. old for that, everybody else listening? Uh, so I'm gonna do it on Myspace. And um, he was in Germany, he was in the military, and uh, he, we had developed this friendship over a couple of years. And uh, he came back for leave after he did a tour in Iraq and didn't have anywhere to stay. And I'm like, you can stay with me, right? Like, that's not a big deal. So uh, he comes to stay with me. I said I was going to sleep on the couch, he was going to sleep in my bed. We all know I did not sleep on the couch, we both slept <laughs> in my bed. And uh, we had this wonderful whirlwind, a week of a relationship. And at this point, my disease had become insane, like an unmanageable, powerless, all of that stuff in every avenue possible, you know? Barely able to pay my bills at this point in time. And so my brain says, go back to Hawaii because you can get ahead there. And so I tell him, like, hey, this has been really fun. I appreciate the time here. I'm going to go back to Hawaii, so like, peace out. And he's like, no, 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 don't do that. Like, marry me and move to Germany. And I'm like, what? Are you serious? And he's like, yeah. And in my head, all I can think is, For a trip to europe all right let's go (laughs) went down to the courthouse and um i i married him and shortly after i got checked out by the military got my military id and off i went to germany and uh i didn't tell him like he didn't he knew that he married a stripper who liked to get drunk all the time but he didn't know like the depth of my disease because i kept that all to myself right like i'm really good at holding secrets uh so i had to let him know i i brought enough I smuggled, I call it my prison wallet. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I smuggled enough drugs to be able to kick. Um, at, they kept me in the barracks for like the first two weeks till we got houses. I thought that I smuggled enough drugs to Europe to kick and it turns out I did not. And so I had to let them know like, hey, by the way, um, you married a junkie. And um, I'm gonna need you to get some opiates from your medic or something because I'm gonna get really sick soon. He took that really well, didn't question it and came back up with some morphine. And I was like, all right, well that one. Keeper. <laughs> right? Um, so anyway, so I decided in my head that like, after I kick, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. Right. It's going to be different. I'm a housewife. I'm no longer a stripper. Yeah, that didn't last long. You can pit me anywhere that you want in the world. And I don't even have to know the language. And I'm still going to figure out how to find dope. Right. So often kicking at some point in time, um, Suzanne is reading my book as we speak. And there's a part where I am employed at coyote ugly. Um, so we get to actually spit fire there as well. Um, so I'm working as a coyote at the bar. I'm having the time of my life and um, he gets his ETS orders, which means that our time in Germany is done and we're going back to the states. and I'm like, no. So we go back to the states and he winds up getting really verbally abusive. He's drinking a whole lot on'm a whole bunch of benzos and it's just all bad. And um, I'm no longer stripping. I'm working in a salon. and I had this girlfriend and she got a DUI and part of her DUI case was that she had to go to meetings. And so she would drag me to these meetings, and I'd show up with her, right? Because I'm just showing up loaded. I'm not drunk or anything. And I remember sitting in those meetings, and totally different than you people. I'm not like you, but like there was this message, right, that I heard, and um, like I I I liked it, but I didn't want to do anything about it. And uh, so I kept going with her. And I remember one night I was laying in bed, and it just felt like there was a thousand pounds of bricks on my chest, and I couldn't breathe. And I remember just praying. I have issues with the word God, right? So I remember praying to like, whatever is up there, like, let me breathe. I can't breathe. Like, it was probably a panic attack. Um, and I remember at some point in time, like all those bricks were just lifted. And I was like, oh, all yeah, right, that was weird. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to address it, but that was weird. Um, and so then a couple more weeks go by and like things with me and old dude are super toxic. And I'm in the shower one day. And I remember just thinking, I need to get a divorce. I need to ask him for a divorce, but like, we don't fight like normal people. So it's not going to be an easy conversation. And uh, I remember I heard him come in he starts throwing stuff all over. And I just remember sitting in the shower and just being like, all right, dude, whatever's up there, give me some words. I can't do this. And he blasted in the bathroom door and started screaming. And I have no clue to this day what I said, but I know that I asked him for a divorce and he said, okay. And turned around and left. And I was like, well, all right. That was weird again. But like I didn't do anything about it, but like, that was weird. Um, I wound up be- being able to move out. I um, rented a um, apartment from the brother of a stripper that I used to work with. All was fine. And well, I'm working in a salon and everything is fine. Um, and I'm at the bar one night and, uh, this was when Sons of Anarchy was on TV and I look across the bar and there's this really attractive man that looks a whole lot like Jack's teller and he's in his motorcycle cut and he's got the grease back here and he's got the tattoos. And I'm like, were you when he's looking at me and so i get my little lady balls and i go over to talk to him and, uh he gives me his number and at some point in time he winds up back in my bed and uh he i don't know anyway uh he, he ended up back
0: in your bed no
2: <laughs> so at some point in time this boy um through many conversations, we decided to move back, or we decided to move to Orange County because we lived in Orange County. Once again, I move everywhere for boys, a reoccurring theme. And uh, so we moved up to Orange County. He doesn't know that I'm using, like, he, I, I caught a court case along the way. Um, might have, Not might have, I definitely sold undercover cops in the strip club and then gave them drugs the second time. So I got some felonies under my belt. I'm on probation, I'm a fourth waiver, and I have to carry this stupid registered narcotics offender card with me everywhere in my wallet. So he's worried that like, if I get caught by the cops that I'm going to go to jail. So now I got to use behind his back. Right. Um, he was recovering from a surgery. So he had all sorts of opiates and benzos and I'm popping those when he's not looking. And, uh, we get up to orange County and he, uh, he doesn't come home all the time because his motorcycle clubs up there. And so I get mad because he works nights as well. And so I call my girlfriend, I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I spent all my money to get up here and now he's not coming home. And she's like, girl, don't be dumb. Go work in the strip club for a couple nights. He'll never know. And then like, you can bone out. And I'm like, you're brilliant, homie. Uh, so I'm getting ready, right? I call some strip clubs, I set up some auditions, I putting in my hair, I'm shaving, I'm looking all cute. And I keep hearing these weird noises from like right behind me, man. I can't figure it out, but it's a new apartment, right? And I keep getting ready and I keep looking over the noise, nothing. I keep getting ready and I look over, and homeboy is standing in the dark, in the hallway next to a bookcase. And I'm like, what are you doing here? Cause he's supposed to be at work. And he's like, what are you doing? Where are you going, who are you going to fuck? Cause it looks like I'm getting ready to go see a dude. I'm not. <laughs> uh, and so I pop off and I say, I'm not going to cheat on you. I'm going to leave you, which as you can imagine did not end well. Um, so a nice little fight ensued and the resolve of the fight was that he is going to stab himself in the leg, call the cops, tell them that, he, that I stabbed him. It wouldn't matter whether or not I stabbed him because I'm a fourth waiver, I'm loaded and that's a violation of my probation right there. So I'm going away for 90 days regardless of whether or not I stab him. So because I have zero self-esteem, um, I, I forgave him and we'll work through this, honey, it'll be okay. Um, and he goes back to work. My best thinking is that I'm going to take all the drugs in the house right now and I'm gonna get clean because the next time you wanna pull this crazy shit, like you can do that and the cops are going to come but I'm going to be clean and hopefully they're going to take you away on a 5150 right um so I take all the drugs I go to sleep and I wake up and I'm clean and I make it like three days before like full-on girl interrupted meltdown like rocking back and forth in the shower like trying to pull my hair out like I can't get the noise in my head shut off and I remember those meetings and so I went and I found a local meeting and I pop inside and I don't like it I still don't agree with these people but whatever I need a meeting I am smoking outside with a bunch of dudes. And one of the dudes is like, little girl, you need to go inside to talk to a chick. And I'm like, no. And he's like, just do it. So he tells me this chick to go talk to. I talk to her. Um, and she gives me her phone number and says to just don't use in between means and to call her every day. And I'm like, this is stupid. This isn't going to work. Uh, anyway, I follow her very gentle, kind suggestion. And you know what? It worked. And um, I met up with her about a week later at uh, Starbucks. And she was like, she told me her story. I told her mine. There was a lot of differences, but there was a lot of similarities with like how we were feeling and stuff like that. And so I could, I was down with that. And then she asked me what my claim date was. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And she's like, all right, so the date that you got in a fight with old dude, when was that? And I'm like last Tuesday. And she's like, okay, and you woke up, and you haven't used sense. Right. And I'm like, no, she's like, all right, let's look at that. Up. The date was May 8th, 2012, which if you remember is nine years to the date of my girlfriend getting murdered in our apartment. Um, to which I then broke down crying. And she's like, why are you crying? I'm like, that's the date. That's the day that she was murdered. Cause I did the ugly cry. And um, she just looks at me all serene and is just like, honey, like sometimes we don't get to pick our clean date. Like sometimes it picks us. And I knew that for me, I don't think that I get another chance at recovery. I think I was given this one date for this exact reason because I knew that I wouldn't screw it up. And I think that I absolutely have the option to go out and use again. I just don't think I get the privilege of coming back here. Um, so I have one recovery date. Um, I thankfully utilize that as my motivation. Right. And so I got him to this program with the gift desperation. I needed to hold on to this date. You know, with everything that I had, I was able to, um, begin working my steps. I was able to go back to school at like 90 days clean. I was in a meeting and I saw on um, this dude, he would come in every week with a band of like kids and he had keys. So I could tell that he was different. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like how? I figured out he was a counselor at a drug rehab and I'm looking at him like you get paid to hang out with junkies and alcoholics all day and go to meet like how do I get your job? <laughs> I hit him up after the meeting and he gave me this little pamphlet and at, like 90 days clean I enrolled in school and I started going to school to be a counselor you know and uh, I was able to like get a job in this field to like whoever says like all of those years you're not going to get anything out of it career path so I'm a really good example that like all of that using was not um a waste and like that gives me like the ability to make me uniquely useful to somebody else you know um so I started working in recovery everything was great I met a man in recovery shock and we were gonna have wonderful little 12-step babies and he had like eight years clean and I had three years clean and we got and case- he proposed to me in a meeting and it was all the stuff that like 12-step babies are made of and um, I got pregnant and I lost it. And then um, I got pregnant again. And then I came home one night and he grabbed me by the throat in the bathroom and threatened to kill me. Um, so I grabbed my purse and I left and then went to my sponsors. And um I didn't know what to do. She said I could stay there. I found a woman's home for um pregnant women that were in domestic violence situations, and um uh, I just started doing the next indicated step, you know, and I remember I had like the first ultrasound or whatever. And I asked my roommate, like, do I invite the dad? Like I haven't talked to him, you know? She's like, invite the dad, it'll be fine. Uh, so I invited him and we went to the ultrasound. He's "Well, no, I'm sorry, blah, blah, it'll never happen again, come back home, crap. And uh, we went in for the ultrasound and the baby didn't have a heartbeat. And I uh, lost my mind, lost my m- hormones as well, lost my mind. And uh, all of a sudden he turns into this like super supportive man once again, um, and I just, I don't know, it was gnarly. Uh, turns out you can't stay at a pregnant woman shelter if you're not pregnant. I didn't have anywhere to go. So I went back and, uh, once again, he swears it'll be different. He catches me in like a moment of like, I don't know, full on hormones and depressive episode. Like I was sick in my head after I lost that baby. And, uh, he says, let's, let's go to Vegas and let's get married. It'll be different. Uh, so we went away to Vegas and got married got married by Elvis in Vegas. I didn't have any friends or family there because you know we eloped and nobody wanted me to marry the dude that tried to kill me or threatened to kill me. Um, and it was a terrible wedding in my head, but I did it anyway. And uh, his parents had a house out there, so we were able to stay in that house until we could find our own. So like every good little victim of domestic violence, let's move away from everything that we know and let's go move to a foreign state where we don't know anyone. So I did that um got out there got involved in the fellowship and um didn't talk about it at all didn't talk about it and the abuse only got worse um and it got worse and it was always the you know but he he does this but he doesn't do that and then he did that but he does this but he doesn't do that and then he did that right all of those things and it Mm -hmm. got to the point where um i was doing my step work down in the living room one day and he just comes down and he just jumped on me and started wailing on me and i tried to grab everything to leave and i couldn't and he just jumped on me again and started wailing on me and I got up, turned around in the kitchen, to grab my purse, and he just clocked me, like, straight in the face, and I just heard my face crack, and uh, I was like, oh, so this is where we're at, all right, jumped in the car, called my sponsor, and I'm like, dude, I don't know what to do, I'm pretty sure he just broke my face, she's like, go to the ER, and I'm like, I can't go to the ER, they're gonna make a report, she's like, go to the ER, I told one girl um, that was in the recovery out there about this, and um, she met me at the ER, she said, I'm gonna call the cops if you don't. And I was like, I can't, she's like, I'm gonna call the cops. And so she called the cops, um, checked out, uh, he broke my nose. And so the doctor also had to make a report. I came back out after getting x-rayed, I explained what was going on with the cops. And um, they were like, yeah, we have to go take him in. So do you want to come with us? Because if he doesn't answer the door, if you give us the keys, then we can go in. And I'm like, all right, let's go. So we followed the cops over there. um, He answered the door, they took him away in handcuffs. And. I was just numb, you know. I was able to stay with that girl and her husband for a while. I was able to come back to the uh, house, put everything I had in storage, and then go stay at another friend's house that he didn't know where I was at because I didn't know when he was going to get out of jail, you know. And I was scared that he was going to come back and, God forbid, do something to me that like had happened to my girlfriend so many years ago. And I remember I finally shared about it in a meeting, and this woman that I didn't know, I'd never talked to, her, I didn't even know her name. She approached me after the meeting, was like, "I got subpoenaed to the uh, his court case," and she's like, uh, who's going with you? And I'm like, no one's going with me. And she's like, give me your phone. She put a phone number in my phone. She's like, I'm going with you. You're not doing this alone. You know? And like, once again, the fellowship shows up and shows me that I have family wherever I am that so I don't have to do anything alone. Um, and she showed up with me, you know, and, uh, he wound up taking a deal, uh, which I was not okay with, but as we're walking back to the car in her little serene way, she says, honey, they wouldn't have offered a deal if it wasn't your higher powers. will." and I was like, all right, fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved back to San Diego moved back in with my parents, moved back in with my parents after 30. I didn't want to do it. It was an ego check, but what it allowed me to do was, um, do a whole lot of that living to men stuff. Like I gave them back their daughter that I robbed from them for so many years, you know, and we have a somewhat decent relationship today. The best that it's ever been, mind you, um, they're still stuck in their ways. They're never going to change, but like, I can change how I respond to them, you know, and the recovery has taught me that. Um, I was able to get involved with a, a nonprofit organization out here called, uh, this was years ago, uh, 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 something against, break the silence against domestic violence. I was able to volunteer time and I was like a grant coordinator for them for a while, you know, so it allowed me the opportunity to like work through my own trauma with the domestic abuse, but also help others on um, what else that was able to. I would share about this in like women's meetings. And I had a woman that like picked me to be your sponsor because she had the exact same situation happen to her, but she didn't stay through a clean. So she's like, I need you to sponsor me. So like, I can know how to go through this clean, you know, so I don't, I understand that I was a victim of domestic violence in that situation. However, I also played a part in that because I continued to stay in that relationship, that was my part. I could have left at any point in time and I didn't. So I'll own that all day, but like, I don't have to be a victim. of My storyline, you know, like my storyline can help somebody else as a result of what I've gone through, because I didn't have to pick up over that. I've had a lot of, no matter what's in my recovery. And that was absolutely one of them. You know, um, I was able to successfully move out of my parents' house, you know, after I saved up a decent amount of money. Um, I have a terrible pattern of, um, dating men that have motorcycles. <laughs> I, I just do it. I really like men and motorcycles. And so a few years ago, I decided that I don't I realized as I'm like online dating that like my options for men that ride motorcycles are really slim and like the chances of them being in recovery are like really slim to none. And so if I wanted to be on a motorcycle, I should probably be the person controlling it. So I went and I got my motorcycle license. I bought a motorcycle. I'm on my fifth motorcycle because I don't know how to keep things long enough. So I like to get a bigger one. Um so I'm on my fifth motorcycle. And I was able to get this wonderful apartment that I am in. I'm able to be self-supporting. I am a counselor at a, I'm outpatient drug treatment center. Uh, today, I have this crazy little cat that you guys have probably seen running across. Her name is- I love is- that cat. <laughs> He's my little naked kitty. Say hello to the people. Uh, and like, I have a really good life today. You know, and it's all, I owe everything to recovery. And like all of the steps that I took, I think that I was needed to take in order to get me to a place of where I am today, not only to be able to help other people, but only like to also be able to help myself because everything that I've gone through has gotten me stronger, not only with my relationship with my higher power, but also my relationship to recovery. Um, so I think all of that for me was necessary to be where I am. And I feel like I have approached the 30 minute mark.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You did. Absolutely. And it is amazing. Like, holy cow. Um, I have not read your book at all. I didn't know it was coming. And I just like, It was hard not to pull my eyes out through that I'm so so grateful for you to come and share that journey and I know there's a lot of people that could be in that situation right now that need to hear that there's a way out and that you've lived through it you've stayed sober through it and you're thriving now and it's and it's being used so all of this bullshit which ties into the the name of your book like maybe you have to see the darkness right like all of it gets used for good and that's definitely been what I've seen in my own recovery.
2: Yes. So that's actually a tattoo on my leg, which is where I got the name from. So the entire quote is maybe you have to know the darkness before you can appreciate the light. And, um, so I stole that quote because the book had a different name originally, but I really liked that a lot more for it. And then the tattoo I have as well as like a black rose, that's like wilted. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, that's going to be the cover of my book. Oh, I also wrote a book during quarantine. Um. <laughs> that's this is, this
0: is the book here for anybody who hasn't seen it. I uh, got it. So uh, when you go on Amazon, that's what it looks like. And I would highly recommend picking up a copy. And I actually told Lori before we started, I go, I read half of it because I kind of you know, when people sit there and say, oh, oh, I'm going to watch this movie this weekend, they're like, oh, my God, it's so good. Wait till you get to the end. It's like, shut up. I don't want to hear no spoilers. And I felt like because I knew you were coming, I didn't want to read to the end because I wanted to have you here. So um, anyways, I'm it's really good. It's yeah, definitely got to get into that.
1: <laughs> Yay. So what inspired you to write a book? How did that happen?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, so many, many years ago, um, after my Hawaii trip, um, everybody had always said that, like, Oh, you've lived a really crazy life. You should write a book and I'm loaded out of my mind and I wasn't dancing. I think I was in school to go back to finishing hair. So I had all this downtime and I was like, I'm just gonna write a book, screw it. And so I started writing it and I started writing it loaded. I think I got to like chapter eight or nine. And then I just gave up cause I kept nodding out on the computer screen. Um, but I just quit. And then fast forward many years um, after I moved back here from Vegas, I'm in therapy because I needed a lot of therapy, a lot of it. And I'm telling my strength this. And he's like, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I'm like, funny thing about that. Um, I started writing one while I was loaded. He's like, you need to finish it. And I'm like, mm, I'll think about it. I went home and I tried to write and I felt like I couldn't write. Like, I thought I was a really good writer, loaded. I upon retrospect, I was not as great as I thought that I was, but I thought I was a whole lot better loaded than I was clean. Um, so I gave up. And then fast forward many more years. And uh, currently the treatment center that I'm working at, one of the case manager was reading one of my notes. And she's like, Lori, I really like how you write. Like you should write a book. And I'm like, yeah, funny thing about that. I started, um, but I quit. And she's like, oh my God, I need to read it. And I'm like, you're not reading that. And she's like, no, you have to let me read it. I'm like, we're not going to do that. And she's like, no, you have to let me read it. I'm like, I will let you read it, but caveat is this. You cannot speak of it again. You cannot share it with anybody and you have to let it die." And she's like, fine. She shared it with another coworker who read it. And then after they both read it, they said, you have to finish it. I was like, you guys suck. (laughs) So I started writing it in February and then insert quarantine. And so I had a lot more time to write so I was able to finish it. I think I finished it finally, um, like right around May was by the time we started going to the editing process wow yeah
1: that's incredible like that's a lot of people who didn't have the past you have dealt with can't even finish a book <laughs> like, you know like that's a big freaking deal to be able to to do that and most of the time it takes like two years or or something like It's kind of cool i feel like in recovery we're really guided by like we our higher power intuition whatever and things just seem to like flow better and and click because it's not our words it's like almost coming through us and that was my
2: experience would you say that's true for you oh absolutely i remember like during the process i was struggling like am i writing because like i i don't think i'm gonna get famous it's not published under my actual name i went with like a fake name for work purposes and family purposes um, but like I remember thinking like am I in self will or am I am in God's will on this and I had finished the book and it came to like trying to find an editor for it because I have terrible grammar and um so I'm talking I call my Her- my higher power's name is Harold so I'm having a conversation with Harold and I'm, I'm like is this your will or whatever like if it's your will send me a sign anyway um so I'm going through a couple of different editors we had just gotten our um Whatever the check was called that they gave us. We only got one in America. I know you're all in Canada. Stimulus think- check. What? Stimulus check. Thank you. Um, I got the stimulus check, like a couple of weeks before and it was $1,200. And so I'm going through editors. I like one, but I don't like the other one. Anyway, the chick that I wind up liking, I asked her how much she wants. And she says, oh, I'll take $1,200. And I was like, Harold, I'm thinking this is you, Um that works. <laughs>
0: That is so good. I love the fact that you're calling your higher power, Harold. That's freaking amazing. (laughs) There is a story behind that. Would you like to hear it? Yes, Yes, absolutely. I was just about to ask, okay, where's that coming from? Because I got the 619 information and that was really helpful. Thank you. So now I need to know about this, Harold. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So the story of Harold is this. Um, so when I started coming into the rooms, right. Like I had, I was very anti God because of religious history. Right. So I remember working a second step and, um, my sponsor had me like, uh, she said, it can be anything that you want. It just has to be loving, kind and greater than yourself. And I was like, all right. Uh, so I was a big fan of like the law of attraction and the- Did we just freeze. Oh. Nope. We're think? good. Okay. We're good. Okay. Um, <laughs> you're good uh so i was a large fan of the law of attraction so that was my first higher power and then she told me that like your higher power wouldn't change and navigate over time and if it does that's okay and so at some point in time i was in a meeting and i heard somebody say that their higher power is like a male figure but they don't have a face and they don't have any fingerprints and i really liked that so i had this male figure that hung out somewhere up in space with no face and no fingerprints and that was my higher power for a long time and then um I do this really weird thing where I talk to my higher power in the shower often. I don't know why I've done it. My whole recovery. I, the shower in the the car anyway. So I'm in the shower one day having a conversation again. And, um, I just hear the name Harold and I'm like, is that your name? Is that, is that, uh, I'm fine with that. Um, (laughs) so now my faceless fingerprintless higher powers name is Harold, which I'm okay with. So fast forward a little bit more time and I'm, a few years ago i had a sponsee kill herself. wrecked me ruined me and so um once again i'm in the shower crying to harold and i'm um, i have this visual image and brooke you may be too young i don't know if it would have made it to canada but it, suzanne you might remember there's a children's book called harold and the purple crayon uh, no maybe okay. Right. so um I came oh, out of- the yeah look it up um, okay out in the 70s and it's the story of this little toddler and he has this magical purple crayon and his parents tuck him in at night and he waits for them to go to sleep and then he like opens his window and he draws like a pirate ship and then he goes and lives like this pirate ship adventure and when he's ready to go back to bed he erases it and he goes back into bed and um so I had that visual image in my head as I was crying in the shower one more time and I realized all right Harold like my higher power is now a toddler that gives me a purple crayon and he allows me to draw my life and it's my job to walk through it um and whatever he creates for me I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do so my higher power is a toddler named Harold
0: <laughs> I, and I have love I know the book now as soon as you started saying he draws on the wall oh my gosh my son loved that book yeah <gasps> and it's still it's actually like a, a bestseller yeah oh yeah it's good we're gonna we're gonna have to post a picture of that for anybody who wants to read their kids this story because absolutely cool. there's a whole bunch of them yeah How beautiful! Actually, you know something. You touched on a few things that I wanted to kind of, you know, just spend a little bit of maybe feedback from you um, because there has been so much loss in regards to addiction. And you were saying like, you know, you lost someone close that you're working with. You're trying to carry a message and try to, you know, help along the way because that's, you know, what uh, you were you were saying. And she passed away. Like, how 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 did how did you get through that? and um, maybe share a little bit about that, kind of slow down that little time.
2: I want to cheat and I want to look in a book. <laughs> I can do it and maintain anonymity. Okay. Um, You can't see that, can you? Okay, good. No. Um, so I was a wreck. I was a huge wreck, right? Cause she had relapsed and um, I was, um, oh, I think I have the wrong book i will figure it out Um, she had relapsed and I was meeting her after our meeting to talk about it. She wanted to get into detox and I was like, check it out. I have to go do an H and I panel tonight. I can pick you up after work. I can drop you off my parents. You can hang out there. You can come back home. I'll pick you up after my H and I panel, stay at my house. And then we'll figure out how to get you into detox the next day. I hit her up after work. She didn't answer. I went to H and I called her a million times. She didn't answer. One of our mutual friends found her. Um, after she had taken her life. And uh, I just lost it because, once again, I feel like it's my fault, right? I could have done something different. I know that I couldn't have, but my brain lies to me in that moment. And um, so I called my old sponsor from Orange County, who I've always remained in contact with because that woman scares the crap out of me. And I love her so much because she's so just literature-based and solution-focused that I go to her for everything. And I was like, what do I do? And she tells me a different spot in the literature to look at. And i'm um, I just, I did a lot of writing on it. I was calling her all the time. on um, and I was just stuck for a really, really long time. And one of the things that she would always tell me, um, she would always tell me that if I'm ever in a situation and the answer to the situation is not spiritual, then it is not the answer. She would harp into me spiritual principles. This woman would. And she would always tell me like, how can you actively apply whatever step that you're working on, you know, to be able to Get through whatever is because trum- whatever step I'm on, I can use the spiritual principles behind that step with whatever is going on in my life. So anyway, so I come home from a meeting. I think I took five years and I gave a sponsee like 90 days, and so I should have been on a high for like celebrating my time, but I'm all butthurt about this chick, and uh, so I just come home and I just start crying and talking to Harold, and I just remember that like the answer is in the spiritual principles, Lori. You know, and so I'm like, wait a minute. What are the spiritual principles behind surrender? And I really want to try not to ruin this, but okay. So hope, faith and trust. Right. So like if I I sat on the couch and I remember thinking about these particular three, right. So like the hope that this feeling will pass, right. The faith that my higher power has a plan for me. And there's going to have something like something's going to happen. Right. And then the trust that like, he has this all under control, right. And then surrender is also one of them behind step seven. Like I have to surrender my feelings at the end of the day, like the longer that I hold on to this, the longer I'm going to continue to like be miserable. And like, if I don't allow myself to like surrender these feelings, nothing's going to come out of that. Right. Patience is another one behind the spirit behind step seven. Like I need to have patience to allow this process to happen. And then as well, like humility, right? Like my pain is no greater and no less than anybody else's and, um, I just have to allow this process to like happen and so like once i had that like aha moment go off in my brain then i was like oh this is how i get through it like i have to practice the spiritual principles in all of my affairs <laughs> uh, and then a whole lot of therapy later and some more writing and i was able to like realize i couldn't i was totally powerless of a situation i had no control and at the end of the day like that was her choice and that's what she did and like we did we had this bonfire um to like celebrate or whatever and one of my buddies came down and he's like Laura, you're like the matriarch of all these girls and i'm like huh it's like you kind of helped make this happen and like all these girls look to you and like i don't see myself that way but then like looking around and seeing all those girls i was like okay so if these girls look to me like i need to get over my own shit. like i can grieve in peace and quiet but like i need to foster some unity and some hope here and some harmony in order to like help us all get through this otherwise we're all going to be as fucked as I am. And I'm miserable. So hmm. the spiritual principles is a long-winded answer to how I got through it. Oh, that's such, no. so incredible.
1: I am, um, yeah, as you know, I'm going through grief myself right now. It's probably the hardest thing to navigate in recovery. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, I don't wish it on anybody having to be completely raw and go through something like this and not be able to numb out or pick up or anything. Like it's just, it puts it on expert level. And it's hard when you see, well for me, cause it was a family member and I see like other family members getting to, to numb out and I can't and I get like, you know, like it's really, really hard. I just love that you gave that those tools. It's so beautiful. And, and it does take time. Like you have to have patience and you're not going to be okay. And you have to just kind of get to acceptance that right now I'm not as reliable as I used to be. I'm not like, I'm not going to be my best today right now for a while. Who knows when, (laughs) but yeah, what you just shared just actually gave me a lot of hope. So thank you so much.
0: Yay! That was excellent. And just how, you know, your whole journey into your recovery and uh, you know, entering into recovery, and then how all the different aspects of how you're finding purpose through your recovery journey, and how it's changing and evolving right from, you know, totally putting your hand up with your higher power and how you've kind of, you know, hmm, thought about different things that are going on in your life and making that connection and then now having uh, a name for your higher power and how that's evolving is just really special and all the different things that you're accomplishing now that you are sober all the fears just your story about you were sharing about how you had all the girls back in the stripper days all come over to Lori's place right and like you used to, you kind of took them as a mama and brought them to the house and now you know you're 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 having that same experience in your recovery and and how much your your pack has grown i'm sure it's grown immensely (laughs) you know from what it was and from what it is today um and that's really special yeah yeah i got a frozen screen again oh (laughs) my my wi-fi is totally not happening tonight.
1: Let's go to something a little more fun because I want to hear your journey on TikTok. Like, how did you get into that? It's pretty interesting. If you guys uh, yeah, want to really get to know Lori, <laughs> go check her out on yeah.
0: TikTok. Actually, I was trying to go scroll through them just saying FYI. Um, if, uh, you know, Lori likes to curse. I like to curse, but uh, some of the words are, you know, it's it's your flavor. <laughs> I don't mind it, but, you know, some, some might. Mm-hmm. So when you go on when we're trying, to... <laughs> just FYI. I love you. I really do. <laughs>
2: mine is definitely not a recovery only platform. That's right. (laughs) It has little sparkles of recovery, but it is not by any standard recovery only. Um, but that journey was prompted by quarantine. My, uh, best friend would always send me TikToks and I'm like, this is stupid. This app's for kids. Like this is, this is dumb. And then quarantine, we're on lockdown and I just downloaded it for fun. And then I was like, I can do this. And then Somehow I made a couple of them and uh, I did not get shamed. I did not get made fun of. And so like any inhibitions went out the window. And uh, I wanna say it was during like the mental health awareness month or something. I saw another person do like a very specific way to like share his story. And so I like jumped on that bandwagon and I kind of shared my story in the same way. And it did not by any standard go like viral, but I got like I don't know, right off the bat, like 30,000 views or something. I got a whole bunch of messages, a whole bunch of likes. And I was like, is this what being TikTok famous is like? <laughs> it's because I'm not TikTok famous by any standard, but I think it has like over 200,000 views now, like it still hangs around. Um, but then at that point I was like, oh, well, if people want to follow me, I got to give them some entertainment. So there's a whole lot of me talking trash about boys, tattoos, a little bit of recovery, some mental health motorcycles. I'm not a dancer. And I'm absolutely a lip synker. Uh, <laughs> if you choose to stalk my TikTok, you are forewarned that it's going to be. I have little to no um, original content. And my naked cat appears in regular videos as well.
1: <laughs> well, that's worth it right there. That naked cat is
0: so entertaining. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, lo- you know, I, Brooke was talking to me about TikTok. Was, what's, what, what is TikTok? You know, I mean, I'm having a hard time keeping up with Instagram. I mean, Facebook was actually a thing that I had to roll into too. And, uh, you know, I've been around a, a while. And on this TikTok, she's, oh, just, just do this. And she put the camera in for me, and threw me in a shirt or a hoodie of ours, and then she took a thing, and then she did another thing. Said, so put in this and stand there and do this. And I'm like, so I saw the first one. I'm like, oh, that's kind of really cool, but a very apprehensive, not wanting to be out. Now I'm like singing in the freaking sink with the content. I saw that one. <laughs> singing in the sink. My husband's like, you are freaking nuts. My family, you know, Halloween, talking about, you know, st- <laughs> kicking Satan in the crotch. I mean, come on. <laughs> but I, it's the same thing. It's like a, a really fun way to express. I, I, I like taking the fun part of it and, you know, some seriousness. But, you know, what I've been blown away as I have been seeing a pos- a positivity that's come out you know so much flack was on TikTok and the younger version which is great but to see lives are being changed lives are being saved by some of the the people that have taken that platform to connect i like i was on a live last night and just hearing somebody just sharing of the realness of what's going on in my recovery today is um something i've never seen in a public fashion like that before have you, what do you think about all of those? I know yours is kind of, uh, you know, you're having fun, but have you gone on lives? Have you, do you have your favorites that you'd like to go to? Is there any shout out to anybody that is out there that is like, hey, who do you listen to, Lori, or who do you go to?
2: I don't necessarily do the live. I've never done the live. I don't think that I have anything that anybody would want to watch, I guess. Like, I don't, you want to sit here and watch me do my makeup? Like, I got, I don't know. Um, but one really cool thing that um has come out of it um like i've made a bunch of like internet friends which sounds super weird to say out loud but like i have two girls in particular like one of them calls me her big sister and like another one i talk to all the time like every day um and like she goes through really rough stuff and she's like i don't have anybody and like i don't know why but i feel like you're the person that i can talk to and it's like she mailed. i was having a super crappy day i was crying all day at work i came home and she mailed me a letter telling me how like thankful she is that like I'm in her life and she appreciates me so much. And like, I have it on my fridge, (laughs) like bracelets. Like it's, I don't necessarily have any big people that I follow that. I want to get shout outs to, but it's like those little people, those people that hopefully one day I will meet. But like, I currently haven't ever that, like, they tell me like I'm the person, like they don't have anybody that they can talk to. And it's like, just to be able to be another, like just a space to hold for somebody else to talk and listen, I think is so valuable. Mm-hmm. and like to be able to have that come from a stranger on the internet because it goes both ways like I'll reach out to them like I'm having a really crappy day and they're like on load and I'm like thank you and like just judgment-free zone and if it wasn't for TikTok like I never would have met these people you know and like one of them she doesn't have any videos up like she has videos her kids you know but like I got no clue what she looks like <laughs> like I love her to pieces and like we send each other's videos all the time and like she has bad days so I send her this little one it's like cat meowing but he says positive things and they always make her cry and i'm like they're supposed to make you happy but i appreciate it for that like the strange random connections that i get out of it and like i get sweet letters that i put on my fridge and i have friends in other states that hopefully i'll see one day
1: it is crazy the amount of connection on that app like it is it's different than any of the other social medias i've been involved in anyway i feel like you really let your guard down and you can just be yourself so you kind of really get to know people more authentically I think and yeah yeah, like just sitting on in someone else doing a live and and chatting with a bunch of people and you know all the dms and everything like it's just different and even some of those people have come off of the app and are now on my my phone and we text and like (laughs) it's so cool and I've been on this podcast even like we get to talk long form and get off of social media and actually make connection it's pretty freaking cool
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we met you through TikTok.
0: So <laughs> We did. We did. Yeah.
1: yeah. And it's been so cool just being on this journey with you and getting to know you and like, you know, having you sit here and sharing your incredible story. Like mm-hmm. I cannot believe what our human beings can get through and get through sober. It's freaking yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. And um yeah, I just want to thank you so much. We're starting to run out of time. I can't believe it's already been an
0: hour. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. Holy cow. (laughs) We have quite a few people have come on. It says, great story. Thank you so much for this. I was scrolling by and stopped in just in time for your story. And actually someone asked a question maybe you could answer is how do, did you become a counselor?
2: Um, I ran into somebody at a meeting, they gave me a little trifle of paper and I just called the number, but typically whatever city, state, country you are in Providence, I don't know what they call it in Canada. Um, like what I would do is Google, like drug and alcohol counselor, trade school in whatever area that I'm in. I know right now, a lot of things are online. Um, but in California, anyway, it's a certain amount of school hours. And then you have to do a certain amount of like intern hours where you're working in the field and take a state test. And once you pass all of those then you get a little piece of paper that says you are now able to be billed for your services and companies want to hire you. <laughs> Ooh, and how long did that process take you to do? Um, my schooling was for six months, every Saturday, nine to four. And then it was a year long internship. I only worked part-time right at first. So it was like a year and a half, probably mm-hmm. 18 months to two years from start to finish. Yeah. Wow. What's that
1: like for you being an addictions counselor? Do you, is it, I I've got this, um, thing, like, I just, I really have been looking into it myself. Um, and I, I worry cause I get Really caught up in other people's feelings. <laughs> Even like just going to meetings and hearing people share, I get so sad. <laughs> like, I can just feel it in my heart. Like, do you, how do you protect yourself from taking on those emotions and, and get, getting triggered by so many things you hear? Probably.
2: I had a really cool, really good teacher um, in my school, and he made it very clear that um, boundaries are going to be highly important if not required on a regular basis never work harder than the client um, and like you're not gonna be able to save everyone pretty much was how he kind of said it and so I've always been able to like keep those things in my head like on like the back burner you know what I mean like if I find myself like getting too attached or wanting to do something the client doesn't want to do it's like mm, mm-mm, he has to do the work or she has to, or whatever you know um and so then that's kind of helpful like of course you get attached to them but you can't let them know that because you have to let them think you treat everybody equally but (laughs) I definitely have my favorites and I definitely have my ones that I can't stand (laughs) well I don't think there's one online because one
0: we got a comment here seriously one of the best counselors ever 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 not just one ever like three (laughs) ever So, you know, thanks. Thanks, Ashton, for saying that. And 15,
2: um, <laughs> I used to work with her. And I told her about this.
0: Oh, oh cool. that's so great. Yeah. So she's been listening and supporting. Um, and that's actually the other thing, too, is so many uh, also uh, from my experiences in recovery also get involved in this line of work and become working treatment centers and addiction counseling. But the one thing, sadly, that I've also experienced and seen, you know, almost too much is that. You come into this field and you're, you're almost working at all day long. And the last thing you want to do is go and take care of your own recovery. And you kind of start getting into thinking, well, I'm doing this all day long. I'm not going to drink. And I've seen so many people fall. Yeah. So what do you do to protect yourself
2: from, from that? That wonderful teacher that I had that instilled all of the fear of God, for lack of a better term, in me, he also said that your work is not your recovery, mm-hmm. Those- things absolutely always need to be separate and your work is never going to even become close to what your personal recovery is um so thankfully i have that ingrained in my brain and it's like absolutely 100 like i can get the therapeutic value of one of us sharing with another when i'm in a counseling session but at the end of the day like it's not reciprocal like i can't unload onto them and we can't have that experience together you know like i get fed at meetings um I learn new tools and I can apply to my recovery and work because I facilitate groups all day and I read books all day and like, that's fine. But at the end of the day, like my step work is my answer. My sponsor is my answer. My higher power is my answer. Working with other women is my answer. Going to meetings is my answer. And like, I don't, for me, I don't want to know which one of those is the glue holding me together. And so I know if I don't do all of those, there's a really good chance that I relapse. And like I said, relapse is not, I don't think I need to come back. So I don't want to mess up that, that wonderful mixture that I have going on keeping me clean um so I just have to continue to do all of those things
0: I love that that was amazing and you know same with us like you know being very careful on on um keeping you know Brooke knows me we're not doing this on this day or this day or we're not you know family's family home group that all the other things are necessary seek purpose has got to fit into the other holes (laughs) You know, because it is. You're right. Like, there's no way that I would be a functioning human if I didn't take care of that first. It's got to come number one. Any what was that saying? I know it's so cliche. Whatever you put above your recovery is the first. That's first thing you lose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, first thing you lose or whatever. So, anyways, um, I think we're out of time. Yes. I wish we could talk and speaking anybody that- who wants to get to know <laughs> Lori some more. We actually get together on our support group every Wednesday. So it's just been fabulous getting to know you and having you come here and sharing your story and uh, and how you're finding purpose in your sobriety and all the things that you're doing to give back, um, you know, from what we do in our addiction, how much we take and we hurt. And, you know, it's a long journey and what you're doing is just sensational. And I thank you and we love you.
2: Mm -hmm. I love you and thank you for inviting me this was fun I'm
1: so glad you had fun before we let you go what is something that you want to leave one last message and then where our followers can come and find you and chat with you and get to know you better
2: how are you gonna drop that on me at the end I feel like I should have like (laughs) been one last thing I have to drop one last thing in the moment (laughs) Oh, buy her book.
0: <laughs>
2: I know that's hard for. <laughs> I approve of that message. However, that is not the message that yeah, I. I know. I know. Um, one last. What? Uh, it's a saying. Um, I'm going to butcher it. Something to the extent of um, everything will be okay in the end, and if it's not okay, it's not the end. Ooh, that's good. It's said more eloquently, but that's all that I could come up with on the moment.
0: Ooh. That's pretty good on the, like, that's, thank you, Harold. (laughs) Because, hey, if you got any problem with what anything has been said today, take it upstairs
2: with Harold. (laughs) With the toddler with the purple crayon. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So
1: where's the best place that our listeners can come and find you?
2: Absolutely, TikTok is probably going to be your easiest. I'm also on, um... Like Instagram, my Instagram and my social, media, my Instagram, my Facebook are um, all on like super private lock due to work and like confidentiality. So like, if you do find me on Instagram, feel free to as well. Let me attempt to find my name because I don't know what it is. LB underscore from FROM underscore the underscore 619. You can look me up um send me a message like send me a friend request and a direct message saying like hey I heard you on the podcast I'm not a client trying to stalk you and then I'll know to add you <laughs> otherwise I'll think that you're a client trying to stalk me and I won't add you yeah <laughs> that's so awesome but TikTok is open so you can stalk me on tiktok there
0: you go <laughs> and check her out on tiktok she's it's awesome there, yeah anyways
1: thank you guys so much for hanging out with us here at seek purpose all of y'all in the lives and everybody on the podcast please share um help us get this message out and if you are on apple Podcasts, we'd love a review it helps us get to more ears and thank you so much laurie this has been absolutely a blast and i knew it would be you're just so much fun <laughs>
0: And actually, for those of you who uh, come on next week, next week we have Climb for Recovery uh, and he'll be here. And Lori's like, yeah. I <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. The, the, I guess the, the recovery or oh, anyways, Climb for Recovery next week. Just keep showing up every Monday. We've got great people like Lori to be able to come and share their lives and their purpose with you. So thanks a lot, Lori, for coming. Thanks everybody. Absolutely.
1: Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. We are thrilled to have you as a part of this community and we are really trying to grow and reach more people. So there's a lot of ways you can get involved. Um,
0: One is going to our website. There's some really great resources there. Yes. And the most exciting part is checking out those GIFs or what do you call them? Gifts. I call them gifts. You call them gifts, whatever. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're actually enjoying your sober life and you're going and you're posting on your Instagram, please just go to Seek Purpose and check them all out and tag us. Yeah. I want to see what you guys are doing out there in sober life. Yeah, we also have filters actually we've been putting out as well. There's so much you can do
1: um, through so- social media with Seek Purpose like like, comment, share all of our posts really get involved with this community. There's so much help out there for you and so much connection here we've been finding.
0: Yeah, and you know the one thing that we have learned in recovery is asking for help. So we're gonna ask for help and just become a patron Mm -hmm. and come help be a part of this community and help it grow. And uh, we'd love to have you. If you wanna become a patron, we have a link on our
1: website that you can click and there's some really cool perks of becoming a patron with Seek Purpose. So we hope you check that out. And obviously, if you review this podcast and whatever podcasting app you're listening to, it's going to help us reach more ears and get that message out of recovery.
0: Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. We have so much more in store. And uh, as our our little community grows, our collective, there's exciting things that are happening that are coming out uh, that we can't wait for you to be involved with. So stay tuned and uh, stay connected.